to be a people of thankfulness. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his love endures forever. God, that's a command from you, Father, that we are to be a grateful people with a humble heart. God, we do not believe in coincidence, God. We believe in your providential care for us, Lord. So God, we submit to you this morning. We come to you with a heart of gratitude and humble obedience, Father. And as you have seen fit to bring us together, God, to hear your word being preached over us, Father. God, I pray that it would be active in us, that we would respond. I thank you, Father, that we are in a fellowship that does not water down the truth or the gospel. God, I pray for those who are sitting in churches all over the nation today, God. And if they're hearing a gospel that is not of you, Father, I pray, God, that there would be a move, a mighty move of repentance, Father. So as your servant comes, Father, would you strengthen him to be bold and courageous in this generation. And you have called us to be bold and courageous as well. To choose this day whom we would serve. So Father, today we choose you. We serve you. Sovereign and mighty King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, as we enter into this time of worship, God, may be pleasing unto you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship our King. Amen.
Let all the shame wash away. Let all the lies fade away. I belong to you. My life is defined by what you say over me. And you say I'm beloved. I'm your beloved. I am yours. Your heart is my home. Your embrace is my greatness.
fresh tenderizing right now, God. Release fresh tears. I call on your spirit to receive this. We've been delivered from the spirit of bondage into fear.
reconciled back to you, God, that your word says, Father, in Romans 5.1, that now we are at peace with God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Ah, the joy of those who are truly in Christ to have this hope Father, you are returning for us. And the hope that we have in Christ, Father, we, we know from your word, it says that it will never disappoint us. Man may disappoint us. Our circumstances may disappoint us. But Christ will never disappoint us. Mm. Oh, Father, you have initiated this work in us. And you are faithful to complete. So, Father, may we be attentive today as we come and we gather, Lord, to to hear your word, to be encouraged this day, that we may go forth from this place, Father, and impact our community, Lord, with the good news of Jesus Christ. Captives may go free. Blind eyes may be open. Lord, it's all for you. Mm your kingdom and for your glory. So we thank you, Father, for this opportunity to gather. And this is in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. Good morning. Oh, yes. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. I'm sorry, verse 19 through 20. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 through 20. It's our verse, basically, for the year. (laughs) I want to keep putting it before us every time we do gather. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself. For God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body, you were bought with a high price. Your life is no longer your own. If you're truly in Christ, if you've been born again, you're of a new nature now. The old life, the old you, is nailed to His cross. It's been crucified there. You're now growing, you're now maturing. And as we've been talking, as I've been encouraging you all, it's not about reaching perfection on this side of heaven, because we're not perfected until we're with Him. But until then, we ought to be maturing. Amen. We ought to be growing. <laughs> we ought to be encouraging each other. We ought to keep pressing on. We ought to do what the Bible is saying. Throw off the sin that so easily entangles us. And get up and run the race. Keep moving forward. You see, that's the movement of the Christian life. Amen. Forward. Amen. But too many of us retreat. Too many of us find ourselves taking up camp in the wilderness. And as I've been encouraging us, we're not to call, we're not called to take up camp in the wilderness. No, we're to go through it. We're not to even look behind. You know, the scripture tells us that, you know, Jesus says that if you put your hand to the plow and you look back, you're not even fit for his kingdom. This is Jesus, you all, and it's kind of been a weird week. And Carrie, I may steer off the notes that I sent you last night, so 
I know you'll probably be like, what's he doing? But just, just adjust. Because it's just been a weird week. Because I've been doing some deep counseling with people and it just keeps re- just reminding me how dark this world is getting. How confused this generation is. And I've been encouraging us, and you may say, but that's, that's not encouraging. But no, I've been encouraging us that it is getting darker out there. Uh, that deception is rising up. <laughs> like everything is at an all-time level, and it's going to keep rising. <laughs> the church, as we've been, as we studied 2 Timothy the past two weeks, we ought to be fanning the flame. We ought to be burning brighter. But I'm afraid too many of us in the church is that we're not persevering. You know, the Bible says trials come. And they come to produce something within us. And they come to equip us. Produce within us perseverance. And perseverance, character, character, hope. How can we continue to be molded and shaped and fashioned and to be His hands and His feet, to to go out and serve the unloving, unloving when we're stuck here? When we don't even truly grasp the concept and the depth of His love for us. You know, this week as people are going to be celebrating Valentine's Day, it's the month of love, which is fine, it's nice to do. But oh, how I pray for each of us that we truly understand the depths of God's love for us. You know, it's His loving kindness that draws us to repentance. You know, the Bible tells us in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, whoever would believe in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Continue on, it says that He didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world. Because the world already stands judged. You see, God knows the condition of mankind, of humanity. We're in rebellion towards Him in and of our old self. And yet, and yet, and yet, He loves us. But I don't want us to get confused with love being defined as salvation. As I told you, you can go out on the streets and you can talk with people and you can interact with people and they're all about saying, well, God loves me, God loves me, God loves me. And, and yes, and I always encourage you, that that's true. God loves us. In the state of our rebellion, in our state, apart from Him, He loves us. That's where I I challenge you to go deeper with them. Not beat them over the head, not argue, not fight them. But if they know that much truth, take them just one step further. What What did he do because of that love for you? You see, I keep encouraging us. If it was just God's love that was going to redeem us, there was no need for Jesus. If the concept of God's love is salvation, and because of His love, salvation is given, well, then there would have been really no need for Jesus. But the Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave. 
And he gave his one and only son. There had to be a payment for sin. There had to be a payment. There had to be bloodshed. And it was the precious blood of Jesus. You know, it goes back to our scripture. That's what I'm trying to encourage us. You've been bought with a price. Your life is no longer your own. You're of a new nature. You're born again of the Spirit. And you should be walking habitually in the Spirit so that you don't gratify the desires of the flesh. And that's not the church's standard. That's not the pastor's standard. No, that's God's standard. That's God's standard. So I don't know who you're talking to this week. I don't know who you've been encouraging this week. Because you ought to be. Especially if you're calling yourself a Christian. And I know you say, oh, don't put that on me. But no, 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 I don't put it on you. Like the Word of God says. <laughs> like you should be sharing about this love. About this hope. About this great salvation that comes forth through Christ. Because God so loved us. Again, you're looking at a man for the majority of my life. I was told how much God hated me. God hates you. God hates you. God hates you. You're an abomination. God hates you. God hates you. I can't tell you. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. (laughs) So, I hated him. I lived how I want, just like you lived before Christ. Not sure how many times people told you God hated you. I mean, even when I came to Christ and, and I desired fellowship with the church, I was told I was not allowed in the church because I would be used of the devil. <laughs> what? I just love Jesus. That wasn't my intent waking up this morning. And I told you all, I could have been wounded. <laughs> I could allow that to scar me and, and to pull away. Because it always fascinates me when I, when I see that happening in lives of people. And, and, I don't, and I don't make light of people being wounded by the church. Because I understand the deep scars of it. But you're allowing the created to chase you out of the presence of your creator. Like, no, see, I knew the created did not save me. The created did not step into that room when I was about to take my life and speak to me. Today you'll live. The created didn't do that. I wasn't looking for Jesus. I hated Jesus. But God's love, God's love, His loving kindness towards each of us. Speaking of myself, you can speak of your own, hopefully. But God's love stepped in. He didn't have to. He could have just allowed me to go dust to dust. But no, his great love stepped in. And I responded to that love. What? Like, Jesus, you're real? Like, my whole life, I've, I've fought against you. My, my very being of who I am, the very desires and everything about me is so against you. I know it is. No one has to tell me. I just know it is. <laughs> But yet you're calling me 
So I just kept pursuing him. Just kept pursuing him. And so when the issues arrived, you know, you missed prayer time. And our prayer time this morning, I started off with this incredible testimony of this young woman, a worship leader who was, who was wounded in the church, and yet God has done an incredible healing in her life. And it, it shows this beautiful song called Manassas, and like, oh, wow. And she's just out there ministering to people, like, you know, like, just let God heal your brokenness, heal the areas of your heart that, that you've been wounded, be restored. You know, to, to your father's house. You know, and I just go, wow, God. You know, yeah, I could have been wounded, but I kept seeking God. I kept seeking God. I kept seeking God. And those moments when the doors were being shut, and I cried out, God, what's going on? And I felt God was just speaking to my heart, like, stop trying to find acceptance in, in man. Mm. Like, I need you to know I've accepted you. And it broke all that chains chains that were trying to wrap around me that I was picking up and wrapping around me because I just wanted someone to tell me, yes, God has done this in your life. <laughs> and he said, that was your problem in your flesh. You were just seeking acceptance from man. But I'm enough for you, Rob. I don't know who needs to hear that today. God's enough for you. He's accepted you. If you're in Christ, if you've accepted Him, if you've accepted this free gift in which He has given us, you know, He took upon our sin. He took upon the wrath that we deserve and He laid upon us righteousness. His righteousness, like this great exchange, all because of love. All because of love. Like he came to save. So this week has just been a, uh, like a whole different... I mean, I know things are crazy out there. <laughs> but the level of stuff that I'm counseling people in, I'm like, oh, Lord. But I'm reminded, I'm so burdened this week, like, God, it's your loving kindness that's reaching out to them. I mean, there's so many people just wounded and the sad thing is it's people who've sat in church the whole life who know scripture who can probably stand up and give you an incredible sermon and yet they're wasting away inside they're hurting they're broken So I want to challenge us, you all. So I keep telling you over these past few years, the church cannot continue to do what the church has been doing. Because all we're doing is birthing apostates. Where's the people of God out there that can recognize the signs of the time? That can understand that we don't have a popular message for the world. The world is not embracing Christ. The world is not going to embrace the gospel, because the world is at war with God's throne. <laughs> so I'm quite not sure how you're preparing yourself, and that's why I keep it saying, like, you just can't get up and just be like, oh, be flippant, like, I'm a Christian, like, I'm just going to go about my day. No, no, no. How are you warring during the day? By the, by the time you open your eyes, <laughs> until you go back to bed, 
And not in of your own strength, but in Christ. Dealing with your own issues. Walking upright amongst a wicked and perverse generation. Dressing for battle. You know, last week, I think it was last week, the title of our time together was when you came to Christ, you weren't invited to a slumber party. No, no, you were invited to war. It's a battle. It's an all-out battle for the souls of mankind. Like what I'm telling you, when you sit down and you just listen to what people are going through, like what? What? Who have you been warring for this week? Who are you interceding for? How are you going into your offices? How are you going into the stores? How are you driving on the streets? How are you attentive to the leading of the Holy Spirit as He's prompting you to pray? And you say, well, I'm not. Well, it's, again, it's not about throwing shame and guilt. Like, oh, I'm a bad Christian. It's not about you being a bad Christian because like, I keep encouraging you all. <laughs> when you start thinking that way, you're only looking at self. You're making it about you. So there you are again. <laughs> In a vicious circle. Now when you see this conviction of the Holy Spirit, like, oh God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Help me to love them as you love them. Help me to stand in the gap for them. Not just gossip about them or tear them down or be one way to their face, but when I go around, I'm going to go tell everyone about their business. No, to genuinely care for people. They would know the love of God because God sent you along their path. See, you're either sowing seed or you're watering it. It's ultimately the Holy Spirit who's going to harvest it. But we must be about our Father's business. And it's a zeal that we can't just work up ourselves. That's why we must depend upon Him. It's a new life. It's a new way. How then now shall we live. See, we know how we would live, what we like and what we gravitate towards, but all that we're to consider dead. So then how do we live now? And I keep telling you, it's okay to be transparent before God and transparent before others. That's where freedom comes from. We're to expose the fruitless deeds of the darkness. We're to drag them out into the light. Like I'm telling you, like when you're freed, you don't want to, yeah. Like, oh man, God, please, Jesus, thank you. Like when you know that you're free, like he who the sun sets free is free indeed. Free indeed. You say, oh, but I still sin, I saw these areas. Okay, but you're still looking at yourself. Look to Christ. If he helped you in that area, he'll help you with this area. If he helped you with these two areas, he'll help you with the next four areas. It's a constant state of growth. It's a constant state of growth. And that's why we don't have to hide or or put a face on like we're all super religious and everyone is, oh, praise the Lord, and we're just floating on clouds and singing hallelujah all day long. No, we go through life. And Jesus himself said, in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I've already overcame the world. And how does that impact your life? 
doesn't mean you're not going to go through. But remember what trials are there for. And I love what the scripture tells us that perseverance, endurance must finish its work so that we will be complete, not lacking anything. Oh, there's a way in which we're called to live, you all. There's a way to go forth and, and, and serve others, love others. And I keep encouraging y'all, you know, we're so, before Christ, we're so self-centered. It's all me, 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 me. But in Christ, it has nothing to do with you. It's, it's you all. How can you serve others? How can you think of others before you think of yourself? How did you prepare your hearts this morning just knowing you were going to come and gather with others? You should be preparing your hearts. You know, again, in the old, we had our habits. We had our ways. And so it is in the new. We begin to build these habits, these spiritual disciplines. Not because man says. Not because God calls us to that. And it's not about being legalistic. No, it's freedom. Like if I'm not growing in it, then how am I knowing him? And then ultimately, if I'm not knowing him, then how then would I know how I'm to live now? If Christ truly has set me free if Christ truly has come and now I am born again of a, of a new nature <laughs> and that all that God prepared for me even before he placed me in my mother's womb is to come forth to complete the works that he prepared me to do. Yeah. <laughs> like how can I even be in that if I'm still just about me? No, that's why I want to keep encouraging y'all and challenging you all. Like, grow up, grow up, grow up. I keep telling you, I don't mind giving you the bottle, but I'm going I'm to shove some steak in your mouth. Like, you need to start chewing, you need to start growing. We can't keep you laying, like Paul says to the church, elementary foundations over and over and over and over again. No, you ought to be teachers by now. You ought to be doing ought to be growing, you ought to be impacting. But this weird thing that's happened where Christianity would become so self-absorbed and it's about my gift, it's about my anointing, it's about my calling, it's about my platform. <laughs> oh God, help us. Help us. Because <laughs> it's all for Jesus. It's all Jesus. Nothing more, nothing. Jesus. It's all we have. So it's the same message over and over and over because you can't change this. It's a message. All revealing Christ. And oh, when he speaks and he tells us like if you're going to follow me Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and come. And then I love it. He even goes a little bit further and he says, consider the cost. Oh, Jesus, just let me fall. No, consider the cost because it's going to cost you everything. 
It's gonna cost you everything. Because he's hated. He's hated. And if they treated him this way, you're not above him. I think they're not gonna treat you that way. So that doesn't mean we run and hide and we hide in the corners and we just let things just go the way they're going. Oh, no, 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 no. We need to be out there. Again, we don't need to go out thumping people over the head with the Bible, yelling and screaming. We just got to live. Now we just got to live. That's what I encourage you all in. Just live it out. Because people will notice there's something different about you. What is it? Oh, it's not a what. It's a who. Uh, I can tell you about Jesus. You know? Now, okay, I'm all for evangelism training, so don't get me wrong when I say this. But sometimes we don't need a 12-week course of evangelizing. Just get out there, live your life, and let people notice the transformation that's taken place. Even if you stumble through your words, it's all right, because it'll keep you humble. Oh, look what Jesus has done. You know, I was thinking from our Wednesday night study and, you know, I know it was mentioned, oh, you know, Rob serves in a ministry, so he has an opportunity just to minister or be around Christians or talk to Christians and so forth like that, which is true, which, and, and praise God, I, mean, I love what I do. But before that role, I, I was out there. And I shared with you about my experience at First USA. So I can relate to those of you who are not in if you would, ministry, quote-unquote, ministry, an organization that's labeled a ministry. I know what it is to be out there in the secular world. As a Christian. So when I was working at First USA, it was a brief time, but God had me there for such a time. And that's what I want to encourage you all, no matter where you're serving, no matter... How you're going about, like it's a ministry. You don't need to be in a building with the name ministry on it. Like it's a ministry. Wherever you're serving. Wherever you're serving. You're a minister of reconciliation. Not just the pastor, not just the evangelist, but all of you. All Christians. You're to go forth. You know, and I shared with you before. I was like, oh God, I really don't want to like, share a lot here with these people. I don't know these people. And oh, oh God. But you know, the Lord's like, well, Rob. I'm like, okay, God. You know? And it, God just began to open up doors. You know? So much so that it finally reached the VP of this region. Calls us all in. Just tell me something about yourself. Well, these people around me already knew every time I opened my mouth, I'm talking about Jesus. And again, I wasn't doing it to berate people or to beat people down or puff me up or make me think I'm somebody. Yeah. I was just sharing what God was doing in my life. So they all started laughing when the guy, this executive, looks out at us and he's like, what are y'all laughing at? They go, oh, wait till you get to him. And they're like, oh, let's start with you. So I was like, oh. I just began to share. Well, this is who I was, this is who I am now, this is how God is working in my life, blah, 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 blah. 
few days later, on my desk, and usually when those doors would open, like everyone's nervous because you see you know people come in with boxes and they're clearing people's desk out <laughs> for whatever reason. There was a huge <laughs> roll, but people just kept going. <laughs> so, anyways, I saw them walking towards me. I was like, oh, "What are they coming for me for?" <laughs> and they bent down. They were like, "Hey, you know, so and so would like to see you on your break." And I was like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> so, anyways, I go and I meet with this guy on my break and his break. He says, you know what? There's a lot of hurting people in our organization because I'm a Christian. I'm bold of you to come in and share your faith the way you are. And I checked in on you as well. Your supervisor says that you are, you're diligent at what you do, that you're not wasting companies' time by just constantly preaching the gospel, but you take the opportunities when you have them, when you're on your breaks or in the lunch area. He goes, I'm really, that, I'm, I respect that. He said, would you mind praying with me and before our shift outside of the building? I was like, yeah. And I was still wet behind the ears, you all. I mean, I wasn't, you know, I was still on, on the bottle. <laughs> so him and I, it started with him and I just standing out there, just praying. And as I shared, some of you have heard this before, all of a sudden, people would take our hands apart. Before you know it, this all the time. People clocking out, people coming in earlier before the shift just to join the prayer group and to pray. Anyways, about a month or so later, he calls me in his office on my break. And he's in tears. He said, the only reason God brought you here was for me. I'm glad you were. I'm glad you were obedient. He said, "I've turned in my resignation." He said, "My wife and I stepped out of ministry years ago. Because it was just so hard." He says, "But I've gone home and told her about you, and we have fallen on our knees. We have cried out to the Lord, and we're going to go back to the call that the Lord has placed on our hearts." I was like, "What, Jesus?" And then just a few weeks after that is when I got a call from crew to be part-time. So I went from a full-time job, which they were putting me up to like supervisor level, to a part-time job because I knew my time was done. And I was like, oh. And I you know, gave them two weeks. It was a great send-off. But I was just like, wow. But I was prompted to think about that as after our Wednesday night. And so just to encourage you, it doesn't matter your setting. Share Jesus, but be respectful. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not about just, you know, causing chaos in a workplace. Listen, if you're going to be challenged or persecuted for your faith, then that would be with you honoring your employer by doing it on your break, doing it on times when you have an opportunity you want to sit and do, but don't go in there and just act up fool after none, just running them up. And a lot of people disagree with me, and I'm fine with that, but I'm just telling you. That's why I'm encouraging y'all, just get out there and live your life. Be productive. That's my, that's my big challenge for us this year, because your life is not your own. You've been purchased. And Christians ought to be productive. You ought to love more. You ought to serve more. 
You shouldn't be keeping records of wrongs. Like you ought to be there on time, if not before. You ought to be giving diligently, serving enthusiastically, faithfully. Because trust me, they're going to hate you either way. But your role is not for anything but for the glory of God. You're to represent Him. You're representing Christ. And that's what I'm hoping to really encourage us this time. That we're together today. Like when you truly see the love of God, when, when you understand that, <laughs> that He gave His Son, not because of anything of you, but because of all of Him. You know, when you truly see that You're freed. But I've got this, I've got that, but you're freed. And I think of David. He was a man after God's own heart. And yet he was an adulterer. Yet he was a murderer. Like, what? But then when you realize, like when he when he was confronted with his sin, like, oh God. I don't know how you respond when you're confronted with your sin. But oh how I pray that when we're confronted with it. We just stop making excuses for it, you all. You know, I heard this preacher preach this week, and I was like, man, that's so good. He was just like, you're just not bad in your sin. <laughs> like you're dead in your sin. Like you understand what sin causes. <laughs> you understand that nature. <laughs> that's why I keep trying to tell you all, your flesh knows, knows nothing else but to die. I drag you to the very thing that just wants to kill you. But Jesus is coming to give you life, a life in abundance. A whole life. Nothing missing, nothing broken. How do I live in this now? How do you live in this now? Coming from such brokenness. Coming out from such brokenness. No, you're identifying differently now. What is it now? I'm going to tell you how broken. I mean, I, I can go around the room and ask you all to share, but right now I've got the platform to, to share. But in any of you, if, if you're truly honest, if you're, if you're truly, you know, transparent, like you could get up and talk about the brokenness in which you came from. And that should be the definition, where you came from. Not where you're remaining. Not where, where my emotions and everything about me is still dictated by what's behind me. You know, I get it that the flesh and the spirit, they war against each other. That old nature is screaming at you daily. And that's what I, that's what I keep trying to remind us. Like this realm, this realm in which you cannot see, the rulers and the principalities and the air and the darkness, this world system and this very nature, that old nature of yours, is out for your destruction. And we just can't, we're just going to be flipping about our Christianity. as innocent as a dove and wise as a serpent. But to go forth, advancing forward, all for his kingdom, all for his glory. Because we just see what he has done for us. And again, Jesus is still not in the tomb. 
He's still not in the, on the cross. He's not in the manger. He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is our God, you all. This is our God. And each day you've got to get up and encourage yourself in that. Oh, it's good to have others encourage you, but you've got to learn to encourage yourself in this truth. And your belief in your confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and He rose from the dead. How's that impacting your walk each and every single day as you're learning to deny yourself? To get up and to move on. To start making choices based out of wholeness. What does it look like? No, I don't need to be easily angered like I used to be. No, wait a minute of Christ because of Christ not because I read 12 scriptures on anger not because I've done this and I've done that and look what I've done and look what I've done and God I keep asking you to take it away from me I don't know about you but we fall in these cycles but I just challenge you before you get to those cycles look to Christ Your loving kindness is revealing me. I keep bending this way, but God, that's not what you have for me. So God, you're, you're, you're giving me this understanding, and God, it's sin, and oh God. Like I want to have that, that true repentance, that godly sorrow. And God, if I don't have it, if I'm flipping about it, if I keep making excuses, then give it to me, Lord. I want that, God. I want to see the depths of what that does. Not only to my life, but to others. And then ultimately, what it did to you was it nailed you to that cross. Like you went there. Oh, God, no. Jesus, please. And I thank you for your word. Thank you for the 12 scriptures. But I just don't want it to become a religious habit where it's just out of my mouth, but there's no transforming of the heart. I'm just doing a good show, but inside, I'm dying. For what? For what? That doesn't honor Christ, and it's not impacting anyone out there. And so again, it doesn't mean that you're never going to stumble. It doesn't mean that you're never going to whatever. But what it does mean is when you have that conviction, don't pull away from God. Don't pull out of church. Don't run amok. Like, oh, I'm just a bad Christian. I'm a poor Christian. I just can't do anything right. Can't be like everyone else. No, no, no. Just see for what it is. It's sin. It's destructive behavior. Oh, God. I'm sorry. And I throw it off. And move on. And move on. And the beauty of that is when, he said, what others have seen. Get your eyes off of others. Get them on Christ. Because if they're on Christ, then I'm going to go and I'm going to reconcile if, I, if I've wounded a relationship. Because I first reconciled this relationship. I always tell people, if you're having a hard time really reconciling over here, it's because you really haven't faced it here. <laughs> because you can't ultimately pour out what you don't have, what you haven't received. We have received an abundance 
from Christ. So this is what I'm challenging you all with this year. Get out there. Live your lives for Christ. For the sake of the gospel. For the kingdom. To know Him. To love Him. And to be loved by Him. I'm telling you, if you just sit on, sit with that. My God loves you. concept of what it is to even be loved by an earthly father. In a day and age where homes are ripped apart, kids are just out and about, running amok, broken, wounded, busted, disgusted. Adults who have just got a lot of issues because of the brokenness that they've experienced. And yet, this is the message you have to share with them. Trust me, there's resistance with it. But let them see how you are living it out. Because I'm telling you, when you know that you know that you know that you're loved by the Almighty, man, you walk differently. You talk differently. You interact with people differently. You know, I always told you, I know, it's funny, haha. You know, when I'm out in public or I'm meeting with people or I have an opportunity to talk with people, once it always gets to that level, like, oh, you're a pastor? I'm like, yeah, I'm a pastor. Oh. Well, you don't look like a pastor. That's what they say. <laughs> you, what? Because a lot of times they don't pour out their hearts. I've connected. We've connected. But all of a sudden when the gauntlet is thrown down like, well, this is all because of Christ, of who I am, and yes, you know, then it's like, oh, I've never thought I would talk to a pastor like this. I, you're a Christian? You're a Christian pastor. Like, yeah, I'm a follower of Christ. Like, yeah, I'm a Christian. That shouldn't be the norm out there. But the norm is what they see is rejection. What they see is a stiff arm. What they see is, you're dirty. (laughs) And I'm clean. And so, ooh, you stand 10 feet that way. And we come with our prejudice already. And I'm like, but that's not Jesus. (laughs) It's not Jesus. He didn't lose his identity when he hung out with sinners. I know we like to, you know, especially in the culture, that's what they like to demand. Well, Jesus ate with the sinners. As if he gave in and did what they were doing. <laughs> oh no, he didn't lose himself. <laughs> he knew his identity. He wasn't worried, like, ooh, am I going to get, you know. No, he's confident. And as well as we should be. Confident. Not in ourselves. But through Christ. Through Christ. Share that one story. About that one woman. Who was struggling with her identity. She thought she was a man. In fact. 
Her lover was coming here years ago. She would drop her off. She, the other one would come upstairs, hear the word of God, be convicted like, oh. She ended up needing surgery. and So anyways, Gildine went over to the house. Gil spent time with the woman who was coming to church. And I looked at the other one. We went to the kitchen. It was time to have the talk. As she, as she would say. She began to give me a what for. How dare you? How dare the church? I can't stand pastors. I mean, she just laid it all out. And everything that she endured at the hands of the church and pastors. I listened. And afterwards, I said, would you mind if I share with you I didn't get offended. What am I going to fight her for? What am I going to get angry? What am I going to stand up? What am, you know, what, how, why do we react the way we do sometimes with people? If she got that all off her chest and she told me to get out of her house, I would have got out graciously. So I asked her for the moment to share. I just began to share with her my old life who God is, who Christ is. And by the time we finished, she was holding my hand. She's the one that reached over. She was holding my hand. And so when I finished, I said to her, you realize you're holding a pastor's hand. And she put a big smile on her face. I said, listen, I'm not here to, you know, force you to believe today. I just trust that a seed has been sown in your life. Oh, you want me to say a prayer? No, because you don't, you're not going to mean it, right? She goes, no. I say, yeah, I don't need you to say a prayer for me. I said, that's between you and him. And you finally get the revelation of Christ. And if you ever want me to come back, I'll come back. And you're always welcome to come into the house coming to the church. You see, that's a picture of love, you all. That's a picture of what Christ does with each of us, and that's a picture that he calls us to go out and do. But yet we're so still consumed about our lives. Our lives. This and that and this and that and I'm not measuring whatever it is that that hinders you. Maybe you're not hindered. Praise be to the Lord. I mean, I love Norma's testimony she shared on Wednesday night. I really do, Norma. I've been inspired ever since then. You know? If you weren't here on Wednesday night, Norma goes across the street to get her lunch. She's interacted with this one lady at the counter throughout her their time that they've known each other. Sown some seed, sown some seed here and there. <laughs> I told you I'm going way off. That's okay. That's good. <laughs> Norma gets back. Well, Norma, you know, was watching. She saw the lady put another piece in, and she was thinking, Norma was thinking, oh, maybe now it equals the, whatever the pound, I should say. So she goes, and Norma goes back to her office, and she sits down, she looks, and she looks at the label, and that woman put extra chicken in Norma's meal. 
Now you may say, oh, that's a blessing, praise God. Well, not to Norma and praise God, it wasn't. Because it wasn't a blessing. It was an opportunity. It was an opportunity for Norma to go back to the store and say, hey, can I speak to you for a second? Norma's like, yeah, yeah. She was like, ah, like, like you gave me extra food. And Norma's like, oh, it's okay, it's okay. No, and Norma's like, no, 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 it's not okay. Like, no, seriously, like, I would, you know, like, to pay for it. Like, yeah, like, like, it's, like, I don't want that. You don't have to do that. You know, I appreciate it, but like, you don't have to do that. So I've been praying for that lady since Wednesday. Like, God, how that must have impacted the depths of her to be like, wow. Like, this woman's really living out her faith. Like she got all the way back to her office and began to eat, and she was so, you know, like, you come back, it's like, hey, you know. Because Norma knew. Norma said on Wednesday, if she would have, she would have never gone back. Like, that woman would just have thought, it's, it's okay. It's okay to do for this Christian woman that comes in here. And she knows what I'm doing, and she's okay with it. So Norm was so encouraged by that. And that's what it is, you all. It's making hard decisions. I mean, it's uncomfortable. I'm sure she, Norma wasn't giddy about it. I'm sure you'd shrug, oh, like, oh, you know, like, oh. But it's okay because how precious, how beautiful, how God-honoring, how Christ-honoring. Because I'm a follower of Christ. No, like, I appreciate it, but. So this is, this is what I'm, trying to encourage us to this week of love this week that people are in this month everyone's looking to love I really look you all to love because God is love and if you're a Christian you've been born again man you've been bought with the price your life is no longer your own if you go Still in 1 Corinthians 6, it's kind of want you to move back up. The verses 9 through 11. It says, Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. And this is where I kind of want to hone in on verse 11 there. Some of you were once like that. (laughs) Here's something to highlight. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You once were 
you've been cleansed, you all. Cleanse. Oh, do I feel dirty? <laughs> well, in and of yourself you are, but not in Christ. <laughs> not in Christ. And that's the position you're taking now, if you're truly a believer. You can let all the junk from your past continue to define you, but I want to challenge you. Why? In Christ, it's Christ that defines you. You've been cleansed. You've been washed. You've been made whole. You've been set free. And it's a process. It's a process. And that's not completed until we're there. So we walk by faith and not by sight. And people are hurting you all. And they're keeping things quiet. Four different people this week I've had an opportunity to sit down with. And the things they've hidden for years. I go, oh God. Thank you, Father. That they have exposed them to the light. And that they had a safe place to come. And to share to weep and to hear of the love of God the saving power of Jesus Christ full redemption the cleansing power that they no longer have to be slaves but they could be a child of God adopted in grafted in given the right Oh, there's nothing like it, you all. There's nothing like it. We're going to walk through Scripture today. Did you hear your speaker today? Yeah. Oh! Give my voice a rest. So, it's been a while since we've walked through these Scriptures, but we are walking through the Scriptures. Second Chronicles, chapter 17 through chapter 18 is what we're going to listen to. I would encourage you to, to follow. Still got time on the clock. <laughs> I've been running out over the past few weeks. So I want to get us back into these scriptures. And again, the whole point of them is a lot of you are new to scripture. Is that I want you to know your God. I want you to see how great He is because as you see Him, so you'll live for Him. If he's not great, if he's just a, a little God, yeah, that's how you'll, you'll experience, that's how you'll live for him. He'll be all like these other gods out there, the, the little G's. But now we need to see how great he is. From beginning to the end, he's great. He's great. He's good. He's kind. He's just. He's love. He's wrath. Just because we're talking about God's love doesn't do away with His wrath, you all. So I want you to understand that too. I'm not one of those people out there who's just all love. 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 Let's do away with hell. Let's do away with wrath. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no. Apart from Christ, if all, if all you're doing is pursuing the created... Oh, you can have all the knowledge of God's love all you want. 
but you keep trampling on the, the sun's blood, making it common, just splashing it up on people as if it's nothing. God have mercy upon you. God have mercy upon you. This weirdness that's taken place in the evangelical movement in the West where they're deconstructing the faith. You can't deconstruct what God established. Man can do its best. But I'm not bold enough to strip him of who he is. God have mercy on what's going on out there. But we do walk through it. And we do see him for who he is. Because it draws us closer to him. Gives a level of confidence that this is our God. This is his plan. It's his purpose. To have a people that he will call his own. And in return they will call him their God from beginning to end. None of this that's going on is taking him by surprise, nor has it taken him by surprise, because he's sovereign. And so, when we look at this book, the second chronicles, we already read through the first, and again, this chronicler is writing to a people, the people of God, who are now being brought back in to the area, the land in which they were taken out as slaves. And generations and generations and generations have died out. And now they're being brought back in. This chronicler is writing to remind them how great their God is. Know your God. Here's the history. He's walking them through, establishing this purpose for them. So that then they then can live for their God and be the people of God. Ultimately, we know that... It wasn't in vain that he wrote because we know that it's not man who pins the Bible. That the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit as I shared with you before. The created man wouldn't write this because the created man would not expose his condition. This is the inspired word of God. Pinned by man but inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so we can learn as we've read about in the New Testament of the Old Testament that we may look and we can peer in and we can see and we can say this is how God moved this is who God is it's not who God was <laughs> it's who God is and we can learn from these people and so don't get bored with the Old Testament alright Carrie first Second Chronicles. Chronicles 17. 17 is where we're heading. Let's go. Playing from Carries' iPhone. Then Jehoshaphat, Asa's son, became the next king. He strengthened Judah to stand against any attack from Israel. He stationed troops in all the fortified towns of Judah, and he assigned additional garrisons to the land of Judah and to the towns of Ephraim that his father Asa had captured. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the example of his father's early years and did not worship the images of Baal. He sought his father's God and obeyed his commands instead of following the evil practices of the kingdom of Israel. So the Lord established Jehoshaphat's control over the kingdom of Judah. All the people of Judah brought gifts to Jehoshaphat, so he became very wealthy and highly esteemed. He was deeply committed to the ways of the Lord. He removed the pagan shrines and Asherah poles from Judah. 
In the third year of his reign, Jehoshaphat sent his officials to teach in all the towns of Judah. These officials included Ben-Hale, Obadiah, Zechariah, Nethanel, and Micaiah. He sent Levites along with them, including Shemaiah, Nethaniah, Zebediah, Asahel, Shemiramoth, Jehonathan, Adonijah, Tobijah, and Tabadonijah. He also sent out the priests Elishema and Jehoram. They took copies of the book of the law of the Lord and traveled around through all the towns of Judah, teaching the people. Yeah. Then the fear of the Lord fell over all the surrounding kingdoms, so that none of them wanted to declare war on Jehoshaphat. Some of the Philistines brought him gifts and silver as tribute, and the Arabs brought 7,700 rams and 7,700 male goats. So Jehoshaphat became more and more powerful and built fortresses and stored cities throughout Judah. He stored numerous supplies in Judah's towns and stationed an army of seasoned troops at Jerusalem. His army was enrolled according to ancestral clans. From Judah, there were 300,000 troops organized in units of 1,000 under the command of Adna. Next in command was Jehohanan, who commanded 280,000 troops. Next was Amasiah, son of Zikri, who volunteered for the Lord's service with 200,000 troops under his command. From Benjamin, there were 200,000 troops equipped with bows and shields. They were under the command of Eliada, a veteran soldier. Next in command was Jehazabad, who commanded 180,000 armed men. These were the troops stationed in Jerusalem to serve the king besides those Jehoshaphat stationed in the fortified towns throughout Judah. Jehoshaphat appoints judges. When King Jehoshaphat of Judah arrived safely home, Chapter 18, Jehoshaphat and Ahab. Jehoshaphat enjoyed great riches and high esteem, and he made an alliance with Ahab of Israel by having his son marry Ahab's daughter. A few years later, he went to Samaria to visit Ahab, who prepared a great banquet for him and his officials. They butchered great numbers of sheep, goats, and cattle for the feast. Then Ahab enticed Jehoshaphat to join forces with him to recover Ramoth Gilead. Will you go with me to Ramoth Gilead? King Ahab of Israel asked King Jehoshaphat of Judah. Jehoshaphat replied, Why, of course, you and I are as one, and my troops are your troops. We will certainly join you in battle. Then Jehoshaphat added, But first, let's find out what the Lord says. So the king of Israel summoned the prophets, four hundred of them, and asked them, Should we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or should I hold back? They all replied, Yes, go right ahead. God will give the king victory. But Jehoshaphat asked, Is there not also a prophet of the Lord here? We should ask him the same question. The king of Israel replied to Jehoshaphat, There is one more man who could consult the Lord for us, but I hate him. He never prophesies anything but trouble for me. His name is Micaiah, son of Imlah. Jehoshaphat replied, That's not the way a king should talk. Mm. Let's hear what he has to say. So the king of Israel called one of his officials and said, Quick, bring Micaiah, son of Imlah. Micaiah prophesies against Ahab. King Ahab of Israel and King Jehoshaphat of Judah, dressed in their royal robes, were sitting on thrones at the threshing floor near the gate of Samaria. All of Ahab's prophets were prophesying there in front of them. 
One of them, Zedekiah, son of Canaanah, made some iron horns and proclaimed, This is what the Lord says, With these horns you will gore the Arameans to death. All the other prophets agreed, Yes, they said, Go up to Ramoth-Gilead and be victorious, for the Lord will give the king victory. Meanwhile, the messenger who went to get Micaiah said to him, Look, all the prophets are promising victory for the king. Be sure that you agree with them and promise success. But Micaiah replied, As surely as the Lord lives, I will say only what my God says. When Micaiah arrived before the king, Ahab asked him, Micaiah, should we go to war against Ramoth-Gilead, or should I hold back? Micaiah replied sarcastically, Yes, go up and be victorious, for you will have victory over them. But the king replied sharply, How many times must I demand that you speak only the truth to me when you speak for the Lord? Then Micaiah told him, In a vision I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, Their master has been killed. Send them home in peace. Didn't I tell you, the king of Israel exclaimed to Jehoshaphat, He never prophesies anything but trouble for me. Then Micaiah continued, Listen to what the Lord says. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the armies of heaven around him, on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, Who can entice King Ahab of Israel to go into battle against Ramoth-Gilead so he can be killed? There were many suggestions, and finally a spirit approached the Lord and said, I can do it. How will you do this? the Lord asked. And the spirit replied, I will go out and inspire all of Ahab's prophets to speak lies. You will succeed, said the Lord. Go ahead and do it. So you see, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouths of your prophets, for the Lord has pronounced your doom. Then Zedekiah, son of Canaanah, walked up to Micaiah and slapped him across the face. Since when did the spirit of the Lord leave me to speak to you? he demanded. And Micaiah replied, You will find out soon enough when you are trying to hide in some secret room. Arrest him, the king of Israel ordered. Take him back to Amon, the governor of the city, and to my son Joash. Give them this order from the king. Put this man in prison and feed him nothing but bread and water until I return safely from the battle. But Micaiah replied, If you return safely, it will mean that the Lord has not spoken through me. Then he added to those standing around, Everyone, mark my words. The death of Ahab. So King Ahab of Israel and King Jehoshaphat of Judah led their armies against Ramoth-Gilead. The king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, As we go into battle, I will disguise myself so no one will recognize me, but you wear your royal robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself, and they went into battle. Meanwhile, the king of Aram had issued these orders to his chariot commanders, Attack only the king of Israel, don't bother with anyone else. So when the Aramean chariot commanders saw Jehoshaphat in his royal robes, they went after him. There is the king of Israel, they shouted. But Jehoshaphat called out, and the Lord saved him. God helped him by turning the attackers away from him. As soon as the chariot commanders realized he was not the king of Israel, they stopped chasing him. An Aramean soldier, however, randomly shot an arrow at the Israelite troops and hit the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. Turn the horses and get me out of here, Ahab groaned to the driver of the chariot. I'm badly wounded. The battle raged all that day, and the king of Israel propped himself up in his chariot facing the Arameans. In the evening, just as the sun was setting, 
he died. Wow. I don't know about you. When you look at these scriptures, when you read these scriptures, when you hear them being read over you, how great our God is, how sovereign he is. The lessons that we can learn. There's so much to unpack there. One thing I just want to leave you all with as we're concluding this portion before we head to Romans, or a little portion of Romans, is this. Whose counsel are you going to? You know, it's interesting, King Jehoshaphat, he was making the right choices, making the right decisions. <laughs> Going around, tearing down the altars. I mean, the word of God, I mean, the, the teachings of God and all that was taking place. God was being revered and honored. <laughs> and then he hooks up <laughs> with Ahab, which he knows good and well. Ahab's character. Ahab's character, I would doubt, was a shock to Jehoshaphat. But for whatever reason, he hooks up, establishes a relationship, marries off his son, Ahab's daughter. Then Ahab plays right into this. All along, Ahab knew. You've got to be careful who you're pairing up with, especially in the church. You know, we've talked about the few weeks. Like The Bible tells us, you know, the wolves are among us. And I believe in this day and age, they're beginning to show their fangs. I believe you have wisdom enough, as Jehoshaphat, he just didn't move on wisdom. Fully. Because we do see him ask for a prophet. Ahab brought his prophets in. Jehoshaphat was like, no, is there not a prophet of the Lord? And so we see Jehoshaphat leaning in a little on the right side of wisdom, but yet fully engaging on the wrong side of action. So many times, that's what we do. We have the wisdom, but for whatever reason, we don't walk in it. We don't apply it. We lean a different direction. For whatever reason. But oh, who stands out? It's Micaiah. This prophet. This man of God in his generation. That's what I love as we're studying. Every generation, God has his people. Ordinary people. Ordinary people. God is not a respecter of person. He was brought into the king. He was not bowing down. He was not going to give the king what the king wanted. No, he was about the Lord's business. This, these are not my words, he says. I'm not tickling your ears. No, no, here. You know, he did kind of give him a little slant of, you know, no, tell me the truth. I mean, even Ahab at that moment knew. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So he tells him. Tells him. And then again, we see Jehoshaphat gets played. Like, Jehoshaphat, come on, man. Like, you were doing all these great things for the Lord. And this one relationship, you're getting played. 
You dress up like the king. You put on your robes. <laughs> he did. He writes out. And they're, cha they're chasing him to kill him, thinking he was the other king. But just so you know, it was random for the soldier to shoot the arrow. But it was God's sovereignty that that arrow would be shot. Yeah. <laughs> so ultimately, God knew Ahab's doom. Not because God's a bad God. <laughs> no, Ahab was a bad king. He didn't honor God. So God, you all are sovereign. His plan, his purpose. And you can take away, I don't know, I would just encourage you this week to sit down with the Lord, discuss your relationships, seek wisdom and counsel. Make sure you have the ears, your ears attentive to the Lord and not attentive to someone who may hold a form of religion, but deny the power of God to transform them and others. Especially again in the day and age where we're seeing this movement among the evangelicals in the West to deconstruct the faith, or you're going to have to learn to have a backbone you all to stand. I keep telling you these things that people are sending me from what's going on in their churches. You know, I always reply, why are you sitting there? <laughs> Give up. <laughs> Walk out. Like, ugh. And people are just sitting there applauding, and people are sitting there like this dazed look, and the stuff that's coming from the pulpits, you're just like, what? And again, you all, the, the crazy thing is, is that these are solid teachers. They've been solid teachers for years, and it's like overnight, they get up. And before you know it, everything they've taught is thrown out the window, and now they have a whole new message for the church. And the church should respond like, yeah, no. <laughs> Something's wrong with this. Like, we're not going that way. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like, we have to be able to stand up and say, no, we will not purposely be led astray. Amen. We're not just going along for the sake of going along because we just want to adapt to the culture. Like, no, that's not how it works. <laughs> it's not who we are as the bride of Christ, as the church of God. Go to Romans chapter 9, verse 22. A little in the old, a little in the new. But Romans, making it through to chapter 9. We're going to read verse 22 through chapter 10, verse 13. Again, Paul is addressing the church in Rome. He continues, in the same way, even though God has the right to show his anger and his power, he's very patient with those of whom his anger falls, who are destined for destruction. He does this to make the riches of his glory shine even brighter on those to whom he shows mercy. Oh, amen. Who were prepared in advance for his glory. And we are among those whom he selected, both from the Jews and from the Gentiles. Concerning the Gentiles, God says in the prophecy of Hosea, those who are not my people, I will now call my people, and I will love those whom I did not love before. 
And then at the place where they were told, you are not my people, there they will be called children of the living God. And concerning Israel, Isaiah the prophet cried out, Though the people of Israel are as numerous as the sand of the seashore, only a remnant will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth quickly and with finality. And Israel said the same thing in another place. I'm sorry, Isaiah said the same thing to another place in another place. If the Lord of heaven's armies had not spared a few of our children, we would have been wiped out like Sodom, destroyed like Gomorrah. What does all this mean? Even though the Gentiles were not trying to follow God's standards, they were made right with God. And it was by faith that this took place. But the people of Israel who tried so hard to get right with God by keeping the law never succeeded. Why not? Because they were trying to get right with God by keeping the law. Instead of by trusting in Him. They stumbled over the great rock in their path. God warned them of this in the scriptures when He said, I am placing a stone in Jerusalem that makes people stumble. A rock that makes them fall. But anyone who trusts in Him will never be disgraced. I'm going to go on to verse 13 of chapter 10. Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. I know what enthusiasm they have for God, but it is misdirected zeal. For they don't understand God's way of making people right with himself. Refusing to accept God's way, they cling to their own way by getting right with God, by trying to keep the law. For Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. As a result, all who believe in him are made right with God. For Moses writes that the law's, that the law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience in all of, his, in all of its commands. But faith's way of getting right with God says, Don't say in your heart, Who will go up to heaven to bring Christ down to earth? And don't say, Who will go down to the place of the dead to bring Christ back to life again? In fact, it says the message is very close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart. And that message is the very message about faith that we preach. If you openly... Declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Oh, come on. You will be saved. <laughs> For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never, uh, come on, will never be disgraced. Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Ah, oh, yes. And the church should say amen and amen. And listen, I love the fact. And man, again, there's so much that we could just unwrap here. But this is what I want to leave with you for this week. I love the fact that Paul's addressing all the different division that's going on in this church. 
Jewish believers and the Gentile believers. They're mixed together now. They're learning what it is to do life. And we've read as we've started through Romans and as we've read up to this point, like he's addressing some really specific truths and understanding and drawing everything out and exposing the division that's taken place. And as he's doing it, you see what he's doing? He's pointing them to Jesus. He's exposing the lies that are taking place, the teachings that are trying to creep in, the divisions that people want to bring their customs in. We've got to do this. We've got to do it this way. We've got to do it that way. It's this, it's that, it's this, it's that. Well, we have to add this because, you know. And again, every time you add, every time you seek to do the to-do list, and hear me, because we all fall trapped to it. Every time you do that, throw it off. It's sin. Once you keep a to-do list, listen, I'm all about to-do list. <laughs> but not in my relationship with Jesus. I did away with those years ago. When I hit a season of religious work, I go to, and I would leave church, and I would leave ministry, and I would look at Gilda and be like, I don't like this. <laughs> what is all this? Is this really what this all ends up being? This? This is what we've given our lives to? What? This is exhausting. This is like, ugh. I wouldn't have left my life for this. <laughs> Many years. So the Lord liberated us. Liberated me. <laughs> and we just run around, just doing and doing and doing. And we're just trying and trying and trying. And when we have that mindset, when we're moving out of that zeal, we're saying Christ didn't do enough. So I'll take it from here. I, I, I can do it. You know, if I just pray, I'm going to pray for that. You know, I told you, yeah, there was a hard season. I said, I'm going to go away. I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray. I'm going to worship. And I'm going to wait. Fasting, crying out, praying, worshiping, and nothing. Nothing. Like I was just hitting the wall. Finally, the Lord broke me in the shower. What are you doing? Like, oh, God. Like, all of this is for nothing, Rob. That just broke me. And I confess that God, I, it's all been about me. I'm, I thought I was pleasing you. I, I thought I was doing the things that are right. I was even using the spiritual disciplines, but for my own first love. Remember when you did it and it wasn't so much work. It was just natural. I was just like, oh. All of a sudden it was like this breath of like what? Oh. Oh God, I'm so sorry I picked that up. Like I told you, the enemy will use scripture to deceive you. He'll manipulate you when you give him a foothold to use the spiritual disciplines to try to manipulate God. 
on a greater anointing, on a greater ministry, on a greater platform, God. So I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. How many times are you doing it? It's like, oh, it's exhausting, you all. It's exhausting. So when I tell you about the level of freedom that's in Christ, no, you don't do away with, you don't say, okay, then I don't fast. No, you ought to be fasting. <laughs> oh, I, I, I want to say I'm afraid. No, no, you ought to be praying. Oh, I won't get down anymore. No, you ought to be in your, but it's the motive behind it that's different when it's truly all Christ. Like, ah, it's, it's a desire. Like, I don't, I don't have to go to church. I've got to go to church. No, no, no. I desire to be in church. <laughs> I don't remember where it is. No, no. I desire. No, I desire to commune with my Father, to walk with Him. I desire to fast. I desire to grow in these disciplines because it's growing me. That's a part of maturing. And so God, I often pray God guard my heart when it comes to these matters. I just don't want to do, I just want to be put on, put on show, put on show. You know, I told y'all, I used to shuck and jive with the best of them. Invited to this church and to that church and that church and this church. <laughs> and I can give you a good performance. <laughs> and then I can get off that platform and weep. And be like, oh God, what did I just do? What did I just do? Mighty bad. What did I just do? that shared her testimony. She's, a, she's a, a woman's conference speaker. And she's led many a conferences. And she would walk off that stage and be like, oh, and thank God the Lord didn't take us out. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> Just fall into these traps, you all. Oh no, God, guard our hearts. Guard our hearts. It's all about you, Jesus. It's all about him, you all. So we see this. Paul's instructing them. Listen. It's all Christ. It's all Christ. And this is the good news. Go to Psalm 20. I'm wrapping up. We're landing the plane. Psalm 20. Love the book of Psalms. I encourage y'all. Oh, man. These psalmists, these were some real dudes. They're transparent. They go through life. The ups and the downs, the lefts and the rights. Man. And yet they pour out their hearts. And then the hopes that we find in the book of Psalms is that though they pour out their hearts and what they're experiencing, they always call you to look up. I may be going through all this, but God. And I'm like, yes. Yes. And that's the whole point of the Christian walk. It's the whole point of the Christian life. Walk with your God. He's got you. You're going to go through. But testify. Know your God. You don't have to put on this weird front. Just live it out, you all. And let's look, Psalm 20. Psalm of David. In my times of trouble... May the Lord answer your cry. Or in times of trouble. May the Lord answer your cry. May the name of the God of Jacob keep you safe from all harm. May he send you help from his sanctuary and strengthen you from Jerusalem. 
May he remember all your gifts and look favorably on your burnt offerings. May he grant your heart's desire and make all your plans succeed. May we shout for joy when we hear of your victory and raise a victory banner in the name of our God. May the Lord answer all your prayers. Now, I know that the Lord rescues his anointed king. He will answer him from his holy heaven and rescue him by his great power. Some nations boast of their chariots and horses, but we boast in the name of the Lord our God. Those nations will fall down and collapse, but we will rise up and stand firm. Give victory to our king, O Lord. Answer our cry for help. Ah, I love it. Look up, you all. If you're truly in Christ, if you've been born again, you've been engrafted into the kingdom of God, and that kingdom cannot be shaken. Everything on this earth will shake. But you have been engrafted into a kingdom that cannot be shaken. The throne of our God is not going to get overturned. It's established. That's the confidence that you can go into this week with. No matter what phone call you get, no matter what interactions take place, no matter what comes your way, no matter how people may want to speak against you, no matter how the enemy may want to disrupt your plans and wreak chaos, his throne is established and he is for you. He's not against you. We're going to end with two nuggets of wisdom. Proverbs, verse 20, verse 2 and 3. Oh, how we need wisdom in this day and age. So two nuggets I'm going to throw out for you. Verse 2 and 3. The king's fury is like a lion's roar. To rouse his anger is to risk your life. Avoiding a fight is a mark of honor. Only fools insist on quarreling. Listen, y'all, there is a way in which we are called to live, and it's for the glory of our King. I'm going to close this with this last song of worship, and then I'll close us in prayer. Shadow and death and stone.
still He has the place He has